the interesting thing that came from that test was I, although I was still, as you just said, sweating almost a litre an hour in these cool conditions, I peed out more than I drank during the three hours, which was sort of a highlight, hang on, something's not going, not, something's not quite right there. That was sort of what prompted these further sort of tests. So it was sort of an unusual case and something to do with my physiology there, but yes. Hello and welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. My name is Alan McCubbin, I'm an accredited sports dietitian, lecturer and researcher in sports nutrition at Monash University in Melbourne and I'm joined as always by my colleague Steph Gaskell. Steph, this is the week after Easter, how was your Easter long weekend? Easter long weekend was was good. Um, I didn't actually have too many eggs. Uh, yeah, my dad came down, travelled down from South Australia, from Adelaide to visit, so um, hung, out, hung out with him for a bit, took him uh, on a bit of an adventure down Alinda Golf Course. I uh, don't know if you know that area, but it's, um, it's, it's quite a steep, steep downhill and I thought I sort of mentioned to dad that, you know, we'll be going for a walk and we'll take Coop's Muckavoodle, but what did he wear? He wore like casual boots and I was like, eh, bugger that. So I took him on this <laughs> like steep downhill bit and then lots of hills and I, I think I had swear words going at me at the end of that. So um, <laughs> that was that was my bit of fun. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And what about you? How was your Easter? I saw some, some good pictures of you um, adventuring um, in Werribee somewhere. Yeah, well, we did a couple of things. We went down to Inverloch, uh, day trip down to Inverloch on Good Friday. On uh, Monday, we went down to uh, Werribee Gorge and um, did a, a bit of a, a trip down there with the kids. So there's a track that runs along the bottom and then there's a circuit that goes sort of right up one of the top of the big hills and then all the way around. It's about a 10K loop in total. Um but my kids are seven and five, so we weren't planning on going around a 10K loop. We were just going to walk the bottom part along the river, uh, which has a little bit of um, kind of rock ledges that you have to be pretty careful on to not fall in the river uh, and a section where there's actually cables bolted into the side of the rock that you use to sort of pull yourself along in a little cave in the middle, which is... Uh, we thought oh, I'll be a bit of an adventure for the kids, but unfortunately my youngest one freaked out a little bit. <laughs> and uh, after we got past that bit, we stopped for lunch and said, oh, it's time to go back that way. And he's like, I'm not going back that way. So we thought about it and we're like, well, the only other way to go is this circuit right over the hill. So th there is a slight shortcut that way, but the the five-year-old and the seven-year-old managed eight Ks up and down, wow. some pretty technical and pretty steep terrain. So um yeah, hats off to them. They did a pretty good job considering uh, we hadn't planned to do that at all. But, uh, yeah, a bit of an adventure. Some little climbers. Mm, absolutely, yeah. In the making. So it's been good. Yeah. All right, well, here on the Long Munch, we take a deep dive into some of the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists and triathletes ask, the sort of stuff that people have a bit of banter about with their mates, whether it's in the coffee shop or, uh, you know, where you're hanging out at a car park before or after training session or something like that. Uh, and then we invite a, a guest expert or an athlete or coach to uh, provide their perspective on the particular topic. Uh, now, today is episode 10B, and our question is, do I need a sweat test? And so being the B episode, it's our athlete episode today, and uh, we have a uh, an 
athlete and a guest who I think has a really interesting um, scenario or story about you know the use of, of sweat testing and it, it's someone that you work with Steph um, Ben Duffus so we'll um, we'll do a bit of an intro for, for him in a minute but I think it's a really interesting scenario that, that uh, he found himself in and, and a really interesting uh, use of, of sweat testing as a, as a tool to try and resolve that so that's been great. Um, but first of all, um, if you have any particular questions that you'd like answered on the podcast, we're always open to suggestions. You can contact us via social media at The Long Munch on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So feel free to get in touch with us in any of those um, platforms. Also, if you uh, would like to leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate that as well. Uh, we've had a few people give us some ratings, uh, which has been really nice, and some feedback, which is fantastic. Um, or if you just want to you know, provide some feedback to us in general via social media about you know, how we think we're going, things that we, you think we should do more of, less of, anything like that, um, we'd always love to, to hear from people and, and get feedback, good, bad, or, or indifferent. But anyway, Steph, uh, let's get into this episode today. So as I said, uh, the topic is, do I need a sweat test? Our guest is um, Ben Duffus. Do you want to introduce Ben and, and tell us a little bit about who he is, what he does, and I guess why we're talking to him today? Yeah, sure. Um, so Ben is a um, an elite high-level um, ultra trail runner. Uh, he's, he's got a wealth of, of running experience and I, I guess his background when he was a kid was in, in the team sports, but then, um, as he, as he grew up, he, he loved being in the mountains. So he's represented, um, Australia in the world mountain running champs as a, as a junior for a couple of years, I think. Um, and then he's, he's done quite well in, um, a popular ultra running race here in Australia known as Ultra Trail Australia. Um, in 2013, he came seventh and um, this year he'll be, he'll be hoping for, for a good placing in that as well. And just recently he uh, won the six foot track, which is a, another popular ultra marathon. So, so he loves running, running in the mountains. Um, and he's also a coach at mile 27. So um, he has quite a big group of, of athletes that he coaches. Um, the reason that he contacted, um, well, he, he basically, yeah, um, contacted me um, in relation to having um, some concerns with gastrointestinal um, symptoms. Um, and, and also exercise associated collapse. Um, and so was just struggling to try and get on top of that. Um, and he, he had a bit of a, I think he had bits of breaks in, in his running career and um, possibly this was um, one of the reasons. So just wanting to get on top of that. Um, and Ben loves to, you know, really understand something. Um, his background is a, is a, um, physicist if I said that word right um so yeah contacted us and you know again I sort of said to him look like we can do some online work because he's interstate he lives in I think it's Brizzy um but I said really the best um would be for you to come down and um and go through the testing that we have here at base at Monash uh so he was he was very happy and keen to do that so um we we ran him through 
a, a simulated test there, which I won't go into too much. Um, but then as part of that testing, we found that um, it, it was worthwhile looking into perhaps his, um, his sweat testing and what was in his sweat and, um, and delving into that further. Um, and I obviously corresponded with you, Alan, as you're the gun in that area. Uh, and, um, yeah, so that's why we've got him on the show to, to talk about his experience of getting the sweat test done and, um, and how that helped inform him and, and hopefully has helped him with his, um, running journey. Yeah. And this whole process that you've just described there, that's played out over the last probably two, two and a half yeah. years. Like yeah, it has actually. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so with COVID thrown in there, it kind of through a spanner in the works of being able to test and, and race. Um, but yeah, over, over that period of time. So we kind of got to test some things in his previous six foot track run and, um, but UTA is kind of the, the one that's, you know, it's, it's longer. Um, and as we know in ultra endurance, um, uh, athletes and events, it, it tends to happen in the, the longer that we, we exercise where we can run into trouble. So we really want to see what happens in, in that race for him. Yep, cool. Or talking about getting longer, uh, we won't keep talking longer. We might just go straight into this interview with Ben awesome. on the Long Munch. Let's do it. Ben Duffus, welcome to the Long Munch. How are things going up there in Brisbane? Good. I'm going to timestamp this interview, though, by saying I just found out a couple hours ago that we're going into a three-day lockdown as of this afternoon. So figuring out what that means uh, for the next few days, what restrictions will be in place. And also, I was tentatively meant to be traveling for a race next week. So that seems unlikely at this stage. Yeah. And I guess by the time people listen to this, they'll know whether it was a three-day lockdown or (laughs) potentially much longer than that. But hopefully, fingers crossed, three Three days. days. Most of them have kind of stuck to their original plan of of late, which has been good. So Yeah, Yeah, so far it's been... Yeah, pretty good. We've only ever had, yeah, three-day lockdowns and that, but such is pandemic life. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. All right, well, let's uh, hear a little bit about sort of your running background, Ben. Did you get, I mean, you do sort of trail and ultra running these days, but is that sort of where you started in running or did you do sort of shorter or, or road racing first before you got into ultra distance stuff? So I started running regularly back in high school and at first the incentive was just to get fit for various team sports. Um, but once I started running every day, it didn't take too long before it came, well, one became apparent I was a bit better at the running than the various other sports and also just started enjoying it more. So things sort of snowballed from there. So the, the focus was very much on track, road, cross country while I was in high school. But as soon as I got out, I um, started focusing on mountain running and made the Australian team as a junior. Uh, and as soon as then I was out of juniors, that was when I made the step up into ultra marathons and just, but still dabble in all sort of different distances on the trails, pretty much as long as it's on the trails. Ideally with some mountains, then I'm keen. Yeah, for sure. And uh, certainly this year, you, you've had a pretty good year to, to more so far uh, you won the, the six foot track marathon a, f- a few weeks ago now um tell us a bit about that race 
yeah, I mean, that was a nice way to sort of start the year, really. Um, I had done a local event also back in February. That was sort of just to blow the cobwebs out since it'd been a few months since my last race. So really the focus for me at the moment is on Ultra Trail Australia 100k. And so the six-foot track marathon was essentially a stepping stone towards that. It was there as a one to measure sort of where where things are at, but also it's a bit more flatter and runnable course than a lot of what I tend to focus on. And so that that sort of terrain has been more of a weakness for me. So it was there one to act as an uh, an incentive to really focus on those weaknesses and yeah, see where I'm at. And also. Um, having trained through the Brisbane summer where it's very hot, very humid, it's still relatively hot and humid now in March. Uh, I find it's a lot easier to do sort of flatter, flatter training than really vert heavy training simply because the speed's a bit higher. So you generate a bit more wind. Whereas particularly if you're going up at, you know, a 40, 50% gradient metabolically, you're working really hard, generating a lot of heat, but you're moving very slowly. So you're not, getting any sort of breeze and usually there's a mountain in the way of the wind yeah yeah absolutely so must feel feel nice and pleasant to come down to to sydney and and run down there yeah relatively i mean supposedly for that well it was definitely a a bit of more humid day than usual by the blue mountain standards for that race but yeah compared to what i was coming from i thought it really wasn't too bad and was i'm i'm used to your shoes being squelchy with sweat sweat that's just standard Mm, yeah absolutely uh and i guess six foot track is kind of the usually the traditional sort of lead up race for uta so that'll get you sort of through the the first half of the year and and i guess just see what happens after that or you got plans for the second half of the year already uh so middle of the year planning the brisbane trail ultra 100 miler that's actually going to be my first 100 miler so i am excited slash intimidated for that one so that's going to be a cool experience the second half of the year it's really probably going to depend a bit on what the situation is with travel i would really like to do the world trail championships which will be in thailand in november but at this stage i'm sort of just saying okay we'll we'll see what the world is like in july maybe and see uh, after the miler and see whether that is realistic or not, or whether you need to reassess and put some other events on the calendar. Yeah, yeah. So you recently got a sweat test done um, this year. Uh, can you tell us a bit about what was involved in, in that sweat test? Well, first of all, what actually prompted you to get that done? Uh, good question. You prompted me to get that done, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Alan. And, uh, and Alan. And Alan, yes. Alan prompted you to prompt me to get that sweat test done. It's a team, um, team effort. It yeah. was teamwork. <laughs> yeah, so I guess that goes back to, so as I said, I've been running ultras for um, nearly 10 years now. And there have been a history of, in a few events, particularly seems more likely when it is a hotter event that I've, I've collapsed um, in a few events. And it sort of have been a bit unclear as to why it was I just exhausted were there other factors and so that was actually why I mean gosh it was a couple of years ago now that I first came down to the Monash lab to get the gut testing and go through the works um yeah the the standard test there running for three hours on a treadmill with a rectal thermometer 
and various other tests, but that's always the part that stands out. Um, yeah, and so that sort of highlighted a few sort of things in terms of a few sort of unusual things going on in terms of hydration, how my body held on to water, which, which then prompted uh, more various tests, looking at renal function, that to check all of that was going on. And yeah, this was sort of the next the next step in, ver- in, in addressing things that, okay, is there anything unusual going on with not just sweat rate which we had already from that test seen that in relatively cool and dry conditions i still was uh sweating a lot i forget what the sweat rate was from that one um but also then that wanted to look at okay what sort of are your sodium losses as well and so yeah that was sort of that next step of addressing and so i guess to sort of jump to sort of some concluding there from coming from that so it certainly highlighted for me that it's like okay i really am losing a lot of fluids from uh sweat as well as a lot of sodium and yeah that so we've been working on sort of adjusting that and you know six foot i was for instance running with a pack the whole way and actually self-supported it i was certainly the only person in the top 10 probably the top 100 who was doing that but it was because i was aware that i really need to address those uh fluid and hydration needs or else i am at risk of yeah collapse yeah yeah and were, were people kind of a bit surprised they're kind of looking at like what's he doing i certainly got a few comments from a few people on the the sort of front the the start line sort of saying oh that you know you that yeah they're with a pack sort of standing out particularly because six foot is an interesting race because you've got uh experienced sort of ultra runners and you also have people coming from the road backgrounds so stepping up from road marathons and then so obviously coming from the roads and 10k half marathon marathon they're used to not carrying anything and it's very light and fast sort of approach and so sort of yeah you really stand out uh they're wearing yeah a pack with yeah bladder and bottles yeah okay and, and so i guess having a look at you know doing a sweat test in this case it sounds like um I mean, obviously, you, you've done a lot around the fluid side of things, looking at both the inputs and the outputs in terms of, you know, sweat loss and then how much you're drinking. Uh, yeah. And I guess this was the, the, the next step to that is if you're looking at the fluid ins and outs, um, that sort of is part of the picture. And then the other part of the picture is the sodium ins and outs um, because sodium sort of interacts with water in that way, which we talked about on the, the previous podcast. Um, and obviously, you know, you can look at your sodium intake in terms of what you're taking, but without a sweat test, you're not going to know what the outputs are. Mm. So I guess that's why we sort of went down that path. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's not necessarily a common thing that we go and get people to do, but um, because when we tested you, um, you know, yeah, you just weren't retaining and, and holding on to the fluid. So you were... You know, you, you could at times be quite good at trying to get in the fluid, um, but then obviously um, we were kind of peeing it out. So, um, you know, if we had just looked at the when you came and did that test for three hours running um, at an RPE around 12 to 13 initially, um, your, your actual sweat rate without including what we lost through pee was around, you know, 950 or something mils an hour. But then when we included... P etc. It went up to about 1.5 liters um, an hour. So you know we just weren't retaining it. Um, you, you did the renal um, function tests, um, and we didn't get a real clear story from that. I think so. Um, yeah, that's why we just wanted to see. Well, you know, 
are we potentially missing something in terms of sodium losses and um, there's no harm in us addressing addressing that and, and seeing if that makes a difference, I think. Um, so, and also, you know, a key thing was when we were running, when you were running, your actual um, body temperature did kind of increase quite quite significantly as well. So your thermoreg, you know, um, didn't seem um, all that great in those conditions. Um, so we, yeah, really knew that we needed to tackle um, trying to get better thermoreg and, um, and fluid intake and try and retain as much as we can if we can. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that was, and that was really the value in actually going from just noticing things in training and anecdotal sort of evidence to then actually doing the rigorous testing in your lab that, I mean, I, I assume there's no such thing as TMI in the, this uh, podcast can uh, give it. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I guess the interesting thing that came from that test was I, although I was still, as you said, sweating almost a litre an hour in these cool conditions, I peed out more than I drank during the three hours which was sort of a highlight, hang on, something's not going, not, something's not quite right there. And then, yeah, that, that was sort of what prompted these further sort of tests. So it was sort of an unusual case and something to do with my physiology there, but yes. Yeah, yep, yep. And what was actually involved when, when you went and did the, the sweat testing? So can you kind of walk people through um, what happened to you, what you had to do when, when you did the sweat test? Yep. I mean, I'll give the sort of the full full rundown there to say that because we were also uh, testing new uh, slightly tweaked pre-race diet, made sure that we held the two days before leading into the test, replicating a pre-race diet. Um, obviously not going to try to mansplain that stuff too much. I'll leave you guys to fill in those details, but that was sort of because diet affects your sodium losses. So making sure that was held um, pretty constant. So, yeah, so in that sense, it was 48 hours leading in uh, eating pre-race diet. And then the test itself is relatively simple. So I so they simply apply a couple of patches in specific locations. I think I had it on my back and chest were the places I had it. Um, and then just going for a run, basically, for I think it was 40 or 50 minutes outside um, and the, those patches are then just collecting the sweat, which then gets sent off to the lab to be analysed. And so the, that was done in January. So January, Brisbane, typically fairly warm and humid. I actually felt like it was one of the coolest days of the summer I ended up doing mine. Uh, I was still averaging, I think it was 1.8 litres an hour sweat loss at a relatively comfortable intensity. And also that's an average over those 45 minutes. I definitely was aware that I was sweating more at the end than at the start. So I suspect it would have been much higher if we'd done another um, 45 minutes after that. Yeah. Yeah. And what you see with um, like just with the way the sweat glands work is that you lose more sodium the higher the sweat rate is. So often in, in research studies, we'll actually get people to like exercise for the first half an hour and mm. then put the patches on because if you take the collection after the sort of first half an hour, you'll generally get a higher sweat sodium yep. concentration than you do in the first half hour of exercise when your sweat rate isn't mm, completely Oh, yeah, I, I think I left out detail there that I had done a warm-up before okay. beforehand. I had done 15 minutes of uh, yeah. easy running before I then went into the test. And at the test, I was trying to run at around, 
what for me would probably be about 50k sort of uh intensity just trying to sort of replicate an ultra that sort of uh intensity since that's the sort of that that's what we're trying to dial in the nutrition for exactly so yeah replicate the kind of sweat rate that you would see in in that kind of a race scenario Mm -hmm. yeah 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 and so did you find that that information that you actually got then from this test was useful yeah so it was certainly reassuring again because as i said we'd had the done the test in the lab so i had seen sweat rate and i've obviously noticed at times in I've noticed in training occasionally doing a pre-post way to see how much have you lost, but you might have peed to that or you might, you know, it's a little more difficult in training and there can be other factors. So it's certainly good to see, okay, yeah, this is quite normal. And that aligns with my experience of in training in my long runs, I'm over summer, at least typically drinking a liter and a half, sometimes more an hour. Uh, and so that that's good to see that yeah okay there's there's a good reason for that i'm not i'm certainly not at risk of uh over hydrating with that sort of intake given these evident sweat losses um i guess what was really interesting for me was to see how high my sodium uh concentration of that sweat was that was obviously completely new information and it's one of those things where it's like okay it's the power of hindsight where you can start to link things up of why I would often, after ultras, uh, I'd sort of notice that if I, yeah, usually, usually I'm always craving, like, I always say, like, I'm always craving, melted cheese is actually usually my, my post-race sort of thing that I want, is, is that real salty sort of food, and usually I just thought, okay, like, that's just classic comfort food, you know, pizza, burgers, nachos, um, but it probably was a sign that I was, uh, had lost a lot of sodium over that time. And sometimes experimenting with different nutritions, I, now that I think about it, I had noticed that those cravings were much less severe um, when I had had higher sodium intakes. So again, that sort of there is starting to align with then what these tests and that were revealing. Yeah. Have you got the, I think you've got the test there in front of you, Steph. Um, so yeah, the, the, certainly on the back, you had a very high sodium concentration, 92 or 93 millimole per litre. Um, which they've then taken, uh, the company that did the test, have used the equation, which we talked about in the last episode. You need to convert that to an estimated whole body sweat sodium concentration because your, the concentration of sodium in your sweat varies in different sites across the body. So you've got to go and do a bit of mathematics with that to work out the whole body um, estimate of a sweat sodium concentration. So that gave you a, a whole body sweat sodium concentration estimated mathematically at um, 1,370 milligrams per litre of sweat. Um, so that, that's in milligrams has been converted rather than millimoles. Um, but if you need to convert them, take the milligrams and divide by 23 to give you millimoles or, or multiply millimoles by 23 to get milligrams. Um, yeah, so obviously that's at the sort of the higher end of normal. And I guess when you combine that with your very high sweat rate in terms of fluid loss, that's going to give you a very high overall sodium loss, but it's also high sodium compared to a lot of people relative to the fluid loss as well. Mm. So it's probably not a surprise that for you, you're drinking water, um, you're obviously going to dilute your your blood further. Um, and because you have high fluid turnover, you're having to replace that quite a bit. Mm. But if you're replacing just the water and not the sodium, you're going to sort of progressively dilute that sodium 
which is going to run down your blood volume because you're going to pee out the excess, mm. essentially, um, mm -hmm. to, to try and keep that blood sodium concentration or the osmolality stable. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that makes perfect sense and kind of fits in with all the stuff that you that you just described before. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you said it sort of was in that sense a bit of a the missing puzzle piece in that sense that it was still a bit unclear of what was going on but as you said there's that sort of ended up giving okay there was now a bit more of a clearer narrative of what was what was happening why there was the history of collapse and why i was noticing sometimes that you know even if i was getting thirsty and drinking a lot i'd just be peeing it out yeah yeah exactly and i think this is a really good example we talked about this in the last podcast that you know, traditionally, I think athletes have had that view of sodium as in like it's this store, kind of like glycogen with carbohydrate. This is store that depletes and when it gets too low, bad things happen. But in reality, it's more it works in synergy with water. And so if you lose a lot of one and not the other or a lot of both and you only replace one and not the other, then then things start to get out of whack. And that's when you can start to you know, potentially run into to issues. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, your example, Ben, is probably one of the more extreme ones uh, in that, you know, the majority of athletes wouldn't have that higher sodium concentration combined with a higher sweat rate. It does happen, mm -hmm. uh, but it's probably the minority of people. And so, you know, this is certainly not something that every athlete has to go out and do necessarily, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it can be a useful diagnostic tool yeah. when when people have had an experience similar to yours. Mm. And again, yeah. it's one of those things. If I'm doing races up to two hours or, you know, three even sort of three hours say a marathon or something then it's uh just not enough time to accumulate as large a debt it was own that was again the problem that i was noticing that i'd only ever really have issues after six seven hours of race intensity yeah yeah which makes perfect sense because as you said one you can't accumulate that bigger loss over a shorter period mm -hmm. but also in most of those shorter races where the intensity is higher there's just less opportunity to, to replace anything anyway. So, you know, you can do mm. the test, but, you know, if you don't have the opportunity to replace it, then the test doesn't really, uh, it's not that useful. Mm. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. And does it make sense? Because I know, um, so you were saying how you craved, you know, salty, salty foods. Does that then make sense in terms of? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's been a lot of talk in the academic literature mm. around salt cravings and, mm. you know, a lot of athletes anecdotally talk about it. Mm. Um, there's not a lot of scientific evidence to so support that concept of salt cravings. Mm. But again, I suspect it's it's possibly because you may only see it in the people who are at the real sort of extreme, extreme end of the spectrum. And then when you bring people into studies, you obviously get a cross-section of everyone. And mm. so, you know, you might see it in one or two people out of the 15 in your study and you don't mm. see it in anyone else. So by the mm. time you average it, you, you see no effect. Yeah. Um, so really there's there's no real evidence in the published scientific literature, but you know, anecdotally, an awful lot of people do report that. So mm. Mm. Well, yeah, anecdotally though, I see some people report it during races, they'll already be starting to crave salt. That, that's certainly never been the case for me i don't tend to get cravings during races itself this is the you know four hours later sort of thing you, you've had yep. a chance for things to settle down and you're like what do you feel like it's like i think i feel like eating three pizzas yeah yeah exactly so yeah i mean there have been a, a few studies that have sort of tried to um measure salt craving or you know get a a, a measure of it um, mm. like the, the five hour study we're doing at the moment we're trying to mm. do that as well um but yeah, there's not a lot of evidence so far, but yeah, that's not to say it doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And can you tell us what then, when you had your results, what did you then do with that information in terms of, I guess, planning ahead? I forwarded it to you, Steph. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was when we then started tweaking my actual in-race nutrition uh, accordingly. So it was in one sense reassuring that, I was, as I said, I was sort of starting to suspect that, yeah, I do need higher um, one fluid intakes, which goes against, there's a bit of a culture in trail running partic- where um, light, light and fast, and it's all about carrying as little as possible and that um and that's not what i need that's not the best thing for me that it was becoming really apparent that if i need to carry an extra you know an extra bottle compared to most people then that's ultimately going to be the best thing for my performance to take that little bit of extra weight um and so in that sense that was i think really good to just sort of see that see those numbers and be reassured that yeah um this is what you need to be doing for to have the best performance and then from there also then starting to plan how do we then address yeah so any sodium requirements so just basically dialing up not no major changes to my nutrition plan but we did sort of dial up the sodium concentration in my uh nutrition formula which yeah. i guess is a shameless sponsor plug I work with Infinite Nutrition in Australia who do custom blends for anyone. So that yep. was quite a relatively easy thing to do that you just get move the slider up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So you can obviously do it in that case by just changing the, the mix of, of what you're drinking uh, for, for other people who, you know, don't have that or live in different countries where, where that product's not available, then you can, uh, you know, obviously choose from the, the brands that are available, like a higher sodium mm. concentration as much as you can there mm. or then look at other sources of sodium in terms of capsules or tablets or things like that as well yeah. um, to, to do it in, in that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, <clears throat> yeah, then it's just about thinking, like, you know, again, I sort of corresponded with Alan because I know it's his area of expertise just in terms of how do we do this logistically in terms of your racing um, with, you know, knowing the sodium losses that we have but then also the, the fluid losses that that we have how do we then tackle that nutritionally um do you want to explain how you would tend to do that and then i guess the approach that we then did with ben yeah yeah so i mean i guess there's a couple of different ways you could do it and i think the way we did it in this case was to look at the estimated whole body sodium concentration in your sweat and basically match the the sodium concentration of the fluid that you were drinking to the sodium concentration of the sweat so it, essentially we're replacing fluid and sodium in proportion to how they're they're lost um some of the mathematical modeling we talked about in the last Mm. episode of the podcast suggested actually that may be more slightly more than you need Mm. but i think in in ben's case it's probably better to go if anything slightly higher than than slightly low Mm -hmm. Mm. um given you know the, the difficulties that that have happened in the past yeah 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 so we just had to kind of work with the logistics for for you in terms of yeah what we could get in with the race and taste and and things like that so yeah um so then it 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 was helpful being able to have that customized nutrition option where yeah i could just very easily email um jason just say okay we need to tweak this and and change the sodium um and um and then we weren't we basically then looked at that for you then didn't we for six foot yeah so it sort of is then the fun of actually then how to implement things on race day looking at okay where can we um where can you pick up nutrition where how far is it between checkpoints and things like that i remember we came up with yeah a sort of a a rigorous sort of plan and then 
I, I went down there and did a training run and I sort of became parent, did a three hour training run down there the week before the race. And was like, I think I need more fluids than we planned for. And by that point it was like, Oh, I, and I was going to be going sort of more light and fast and filling up more along the way. And I just realized, no, I'm going to have to be stopping four times an hour. I know I'm not going to want to stop four times an hour. So I just, as I said, I ended up uh, ch- changing our whole plan after we spent almost, yeah, we spent a while figuring that out to just, I'm just going to self-support it and make sure I get everything I need that way, um, which was easy and, yeah, worked out. And then obviously, yeah, it sort of is a case for every race, then sitting down and having a think about how long you expect to be between checkpoints, how much do you then need to carry in that and I think it's just the thing that as this is sort of really highlighted for me and I've and I think it's an important thing for most people in ultra running it's about figuring out what you need first and then figuring out after that how you're going to carry it rather than I think a lot of people do it the opposite way around which is they go how much do I want to carry okay I then and usually you'll err on the lighter side because no one wants to carry that much mm-hmm. and then end up uh yeah tweaking their whole nutrition plan around what they want to carry whereas yeah in this case, I think it's better to go the other way around. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, um, obviously you went for the sort of much more concentrated sodium mix in terms of what you were drinking. Did it taste all right? Was it not like, because obviously mm. when you dial up the sodium, it can taste pretty horrible if it gets too high, but mm. how did you find it? Yeah, fortunately, taste for me is usually not that big of an issue in uh, terms of for racing nutrition. And that's sort of always been the case that, Although I certainly, I've had gut issues, like quite a lot of various gut issues over the years. And so certainly the stomach has been sensible, but like flavor fatigue and that has never, never been an issue. I can just be having the same sort of drink for 13 hours straight or something. And it's, and I'm fine with that. I've tried all sorts of different flavors and rarely is there any that, well, if it, if it's a flavor, which you just genuinely dislike, then that that's one thing, but yeah. In terms of yeah, whether if it's a slightly saltier mix, it's just like okay, this tastes a bit salty. That that's fine. It doesn't uh, have any negative consequences for yeah. me. So in that sense, I am lucky there. I know some people are a lot more sensitive to different flavors, or really do report after a few hours that they need to mix it up, being sick of sweet or salty or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And was it a big? I mean, I don't know what you were doing before this. Mm-hmm. Was it a big step up in terms of the sodium intake from before, or was it just a little bit of an increase? Um, it was a fairly decent increase that it was probably doubling. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 If not even slightly more. Yeah. Typically, yeah, you would have been maybe 400, 500 milligrams perhaps an hour. Yeah, so we did about double that. Yeah. Yeah. So you're right. Yeah. 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 And was it something that you sort of had a, a go at in sort of training runs before you got to six foot? Yeah, so I, I, I got to do a couple of training runs with that um, beforehand just to check yeah. that that was all all fine. Um, yep. But ultimately, as I said, with UTA 100 sort of being the focus, uh, I was in that sense almost willing to use six foot as the real experiment to see how does this fare at race sort of intensity when you are just... And obviously, okay, the intensity at six foot is higher than UTA, which is part of the experiment, but it's also just to see, particularly in that final hour, for instance, where you are pushing, where your body is now sort of pushed close to its max to see how it performs. Because that's just the one thing you can never really do in training. 
Mm. Um, yeah, you can still do these longer runs and that, but you just don't push yourself into quite at the same state of exhaustion. Yeah, yeah. We were talking to Karen Hill, mountain biker, in our last podcast about the same thing in, in the context mm-hmm. of carbohydrate loading and she talked about the fact that she'd done it before some long training sessions but also in some sort of more minor races in the lead up to her national championships and she found that really useful mm-hmm. uh, because the experience doing it before a race was actually quite different to the experience just doing it before a long training, long training session as well so yeah, yeah. Uh, i think it's a really good message for people if you get that opportunity to do that um, even if the event is a bit shorter and even if it's an event um, where you may think oh it's not really necessary because mm. the event's shorter mm. that you do it anyway because it's it's not about whether you need it for that event it's about using that event as a rehearsal i guess for the for yeah, the big nice. one that you want to really focus on exactly and in ultra running and so this is coming more as a coach as well as an athlete where it's that your longer runs once you're going over three four hours you've you've saturated a lot of the physiological adaptions that you're going to get but the whole point of those longer ones or of is using sort of your quote-unquote b races and that is practicing the logistics dialing in those things like the like the nutrition and that getting through aid stations quickly making sure that you're happy with all the gear you're going to use on race day etc yeah yeah absolutely as well as obviously yeah the mental side of things and that definitely mm. yeah and so um, that's kind of leading into our next question with um, you are a coach, a running coach. Um, so with being a running coach, do your athletes often ask you about, you know, supplementing with sodium or, you know, should they do sweat testing? Is that a common question that you get? Uh, it is pretty common for people to ask about um, sodium intake. Often... Often, it, well, generally, it comes from a place where I think, yeah, there's a lot of marketing information out there. Usually, usually the question is not about sodium. It's specifically about salt pills of do I need mm. to take salt pills and sort of it. And then often it comes down to sitting down with people. As I said, for someone like me, it was because of these sort of more extreme reasons that we ended up going down this path of looking into it that from a lot of people find you know there's there's sodium in most sports products and that and that is and they're not showing any signs of any reason that they need to change anything if there are sort of you know if someone was showing similar symptoms to me again that's a point where I go well this is outside my scope of expertise you know you need to go talk to the the experts like you guys to sort of really do the testing and that because there's only so much that we can uh just do by experimentation um yeah and so in terms of yeah with the sodium though it's often then having to look at okay well what are you getting in through all your other products because you know sometimes i'll see people you know there are certain drinks on the market that have very high amounts of sodium and there are salt pill well electrolyte pills on the market that have low sodium um uh, mixes and that and so you'll see people swapping out yeah a high sodium drink for a low sodium electrolyte pill thinking that they're going to be getting more sodium and they're they're not they've done the opposite they've just reduced it so it's kind of yeah it is something that do have a look at but for most people sort of find that yeah they are often well they're not showing any signs that they're that it is a major issue for them and so it's not something that we need and they are getting in a decent amount uh a physiologically plausible amount that to be good um from the various other products just naturally yeah 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 so yeah answer my other question there which was you know do you find that they 
do get confused, I think, because um, that, that is commonly what we get as well. You know, they um, can be chugging, individuals can be chugging down a lot of um, salt capsules and they may think they're getting in a lot, um, but they don't actually, um, you know, necessarily have a good understanding of what they should be looking for on their, on their product and that's with a lot of things. Um, and we can get confused over salt and then sodium. Mm. Yep. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah. an interesting one. Um, and I think particularly with sodium and, and electrolytes more broadly, you, you do see either confusion where people are like, I've got no idea what's going on, what do I do? Mm. Or you have people that are like, I know exactly what's going on, I know what to do, but it turns out it's not correct. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of that is, um, yeah, as you said before, Ben, there's a lot of misinformation in this particular field. There's a lot of marketing messages in this particular field. Uh, and as we talked about in the last episode, to be fair, I think a lot of that is really a, a vacuum in terms of research and, and rec- mm. guidelines and recommendations. So there is no official guidelines around how much sodium people should use or mm-hmm. uh, when when to test and how to use those results. So, of course, if there's no recommendations, people are going to fill the gaps yep. with, with whatever's available. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's tricky. Mm, it is. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, what was I going to say? I, and I, I should say, you know, with um, you coming and, and doing the testing, it, you know, there were, I guess, a number of factors that we were tackling. So, um, you know, we looked at um, the, the, the sweat rate and thermoreg, um, but we also picked up um, in your situation that we also did have a, um, the gut function was slowing down as well. Yeah. Um, so that's where I guess we, when we talked about that 48-hour lean-in diet, um, you know, we, we changed what we were doing, well, we tweaked what we were doing in your lead-in diet to be able to, um, I guess, um, yeah, look at the needs that we found for, for what was happening for you in terms of your gut functioning, um, just, just slowing down, which can be really common for people in ultras. So um, that lead-in diet was looking at... Um, you know, sort of low residue, low FODMAP um, and and some, some other factors in there. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess final question around that, Ben. So when you've, you've made these changes, obviously you've only had the, you know, the one race so far or maybe a couple of races. Uh, obviously one of the issues you were having prior to this was that when you were trying to drink a lot, you were peeing a lot. Did you find that this helped with that? Uh, well, it's hard to tell when it was only a three-hour, 20-minute yeah, race. I, I did have one pee at the halfway mark, um, but I know I started very well hydrated as well, so I sort of don't really uh, know for sure yet. I think mm-hmm. I have noticed in training that with a higher sodium intake, do find I probably do pee a little less than I was noticing beforehand. But it's sort of one of those things which it, it's going to be a real test once, yeah, do the next 100K and that plus will be the, yeah, that, that that's going to be the real test. So sort of, or sort of the funny thing when you asked me to come on for this interview, it's like, oh gosh, like I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because we've still got uh, the major hurdles to go. But yeah, yes, yeah. obviously optimistic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it'll be interesting to yeah, hear, hear your feedback after UTA of, of how it's all gone. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, it's just, again, it's not just this one thing that, you know, we need to look at for you. It's a, it's yeah. a, 
Number. We've got a whole plethora of issues to work on. It's yeah, yeah. fun times. <laughs> Keep you busy. Sorry, that's and yeah, and unfortunately with ultra and ultra running, I, you know, as much as we do try and practice it um, as best we can in training and um, and whatever opportunity we have in races, sometimes it's um, we're never gonna know, and and even just with you know symptoms until until we have the A race, I guess. Mm, yeah. Yep, but we're positive. Yeah, it's always the fun. Yeah, I mean, with ultras, that's always the way that you, the only way to find out how your body will react after 90K is to run 90K, Mm. and it's going to be different conditions, and that makes a difference, and just the length of time between races, you're a different person. So even Mm -hmm. if you had everything dialed in perfectly, things have changed changed. then a year or two later. And so it's this... uh, ever moving goalpost and that's part of the fun of it <laughs> yep yep all right well i think we're yep. ready for our bonus round bonus round to find out a little bit more about you ben mm. all right um so if you could do anything besides what you're doing now what do you think you'd do in life I reckon I might be with you guys in the research lab. I, oh. I, I, I did a... Well, I, I, I left halfway through. I was doing a PhD in theoretical quantum physics, so I do have that sort of inter- scientific interest and research background. I, I appreciate that that field wasn't so much for me, but I have si- I, since then I've done a master's in sports coaching, and that sort of reminded me that it's like, oh, yeah, with these the sort of other areas where I think I'm a little bit more... Um, engaged that I, I think I could have stayed more interested in research I'm not saying I have any desire right now to leave what I'm doing currently but it did sort of remind me that oh yeah I think I could have been uh perhaps happier if I was just uh had gone down the research path in a slightly different field and so whether that's you know merging that sort of interest of sport and physics and that or something like biomechanics or I don't know. I'm interested in lots of it. As hopefully it's come out in this chat, I find what we've been talking about here really interesting. So maybe, as I said, I'd be down there with you guys. Yep. Well, there is a couple of PhDs being advertised here yeah. at the moment, actually. <laughs> so uh, if anyone's interested, yeah, you'll uh, get on board. Uh, you can contact uh, Monash University um, Department of Nutrition, Dietetics, and Food because they've got at least two, possibly three, I think, mm. PhDs in the sports nutrition area. Uh, being advertised at the moment, so we're we're certainly looking for people. Um, so a bit of a shameless plug, <laughs> impromptu. Um, You're welcome. I, I just happened to set that one up yeah. for you guys. Yeah, yeah, it was beautiful. That that wasn't even planned. Um, anything on your bucket list that you haven't done yet, Ben? I would really like one day. I'd love to sort of down the track on the world to sort of get more. Um, move away from running as much more into sort of well still always running but then start to incorporate some like more climbing and mountaineering sort of things so i (laughs) guess it would be really cool to do well various mountains around the world but i guess sort of to do an eight thousand would be a pretty cool goal so let let, let's say that yeah yeah sounds great Uh, and this might be a duplicate question then, but is there any other sports that you've sort of seen and thought, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that one day? Well, yeah, so obviously that, that gives an indication of sort of where interests lie. I've, I've sort of in the last year and a bit been slowly getting into a little bit of rock climbing and that as well. So that's certainly a, uh, yeah, sort of sport and just general area that be really interested in. 
I guess if you have to say other sports as well, ski mountaineering looks really cool. Obviously, I do not, you know, living in Brisbane, do not have many <laughs> ski fields readily available to me. But if I lived in the European Alps or something, I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And there's so much great sort of helmet cam footage these days of people. Um, yeah, so much out there to, to have a look mm. at. All right. Um, any piece of advice or motto that you tend to, to live by or hold close to you? That's one of those things where it tends to like vary depending on what, what's relevant. Um, that I guess, uh, yeah, there, 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 there are lots of sort of little mottos that is always case dependent. So it's sort of really hard to ever say, uh, this is, this is the one I, I guess sort of one that I've, I think I might have even have said it during this interview where it's just simply like such as life, such as pandemic life is the one probably that I find I use quite often with myself to just sort of uh, whenever things happen, um, just sort of like, oh, well, that that's sort of how how it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fair enough. And I think particularly this last year for everyone has been a big uh, reminder that you need to just be able to roll with whatever comes your way. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, and final question. Uh, is there a particular ultra running race that you haven't done yet, but it's sort of on your, your to-do list? Maybe something UTMB. Uh, yeah. UTMB. <laughs> yeah, that, that's sort of a big... That, that's been a big one for me when I... Um, you know, one of those ones when I started when I was, yeah, 19, that I sort of said, okay, this is a big long-term goal. And, and, and when I said long-term, I did mean long term that it's been almost 10 years and I haven't run it yet that when I said I wanted to you know I, I was sort of thinking okay I spend my 20s building up that base and really working towards that when I do do it I want to do it right um yeah and I know that perhaps that's a little un, you know for usually four year Olympic cycles is considered a long time and I was also thinking 10 year sort of cycles and that but um yeah that that's only a big long-term goal of mine yeah well hopefully with the uh rollout of vaccines and things things will settle down and you'll be able to get over there in the next few years hopefully yeah awesome all right well i think that's pretty much us done so mm. thanks so much for your time ben it's great to, to hear your story as we said it's a, a bit more of a an extreme example i guess around both sodium and, and hydration but a, a good one and uh i think a really good lesson of you know sweat testing can be kind of thrown around left right and center but used in in the right scenario and for the right purpose it can actually be a, a really useful tool for people um and obviously the, the proof will be in the pudding obviously come uta so mm. uh you know good luck for that that'll be in a, in a few weeks yeah and obviously i'm really interested to see i know the studies that you've got running at the moment looking at those sodium replacement studies that really keen to see what comes out of that and i guess it will be really interesting to say to look at First off, just what is averages, but then is there a big individual sort of difference in that where whether, yeah, someone like I would have a particularly unique sort of individual response or, yeah. Well, you're always welcome to travel down and participate in Alan's study. <laughs> well, I may not be welcome to travel down this week, though. <laughs> That's all right. We can wait. We can wait, yeah. It'll, it'll run through till probably October of this year, I think, recruitment. So, Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I should say um, Ben is a really good athlete to, to work with as well, like just in terms of you really interested in what we're doing. You always want to have an understanding of it. Um, and then, you you know, 
we we implement it and then we we go through it and we have feedback and then we adapt and that's really what it's all about because we know there's individual variation things change as you said um so just because we have one plan for this particular race or this particular time doesn't mean it's going to work and be the same for, for the future as well so um yeah you you're great to work with and um it's good to be able to have alan to um you know um work with as well to to be able to um yeah adapt the plan and mm. Yep. So thank you for, for coming on and we'll see what, what's going to happen in the future. Thank you. Yeah. And it's been, yeah, it's been great sort of working with you, Steph and, and Ellen, for your input at that as well, that it's incredibly lucky that, um, you know, when I sort of, okay, I want to start delving into these issues. Oh, good. We just happen to have the world experts in <laughs> ultra marathon and sort of gut performance and hydration and that, you know, here in Australia. So we're incredibly lucky there. Mm. Awesome. Mm. Thanks so much. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. That was great. Um, a lot of insight there from Ben. And I, I think this topic is going to be very popular because it's, you know, a question we constantly get asked all the time. Like I know just this week I've been asked about where can we get sweat testing. Um, and then the important thing as well, I think, is. Um, as I always check with you, Alan, as well, is, well, what should that protocol be? So make sure, you know, you're going through the right process when you get the sweat testing. Um, so it's it's not a waste of time. Um, but would you like to just, I guess, sum up from, from your episode and Ben's, um, the key sort of take-home messages for listeners? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, um, today's interview with Ben was you know, a fantastic case and a great example of where a sweat test has been potentially quite useful um, because I guess from from that first episode, you know, people maybe got the impression that it may not be that useful and I think it's about saying that you know, it is a tool that's available um, but it's maybe not necessary in, in every case um, and there's only specific times that, that this sort of testing may be, may be a useful thing to do. Um, and it's about understanding, you know, when that that might be. So, yeah, coming back to the question of, you know, should I get a sweat test? I think the the first answer is um, by default probably not. Um, there, there's too many issues with, you know, lack of guidelines. Like, what do you do with that result? What does it actually mean? Um, even you know some of the vagaries of the the test itself and and how to make sure it's done properly and it's interpreted properly and that you you know put in the the right calculations into to work out the true sodium loss rather than the what's happening at that site where you've slapped a patch on uh, is obviously going to be really important in the first instance but yeah i mean i think with any test you know whether it's a, a blood test to look at your iron which we've talked about before or um you know going to do a vo2 max test like there's no point going out and doing a vo2 max for test for the sake of doing a vo2 max test you need a reason why you want to do a vo2 max test there's a reason why you want to go and have a needle put into your arm and some blood drawn out to look at your your iron status you don't know, just do that for the sake of it you do that because you think there might be an issue um and it's the same in, in this scenario too i don't think you necessarily need to go out and do a sweat test just for the sake of it um but there may be times where you know you suspect that there's something not quite right and then that's maybe when you you go to that stage and that's obviously what we did uh, in in ben's situation so you know for him as you said it started off with some issues around gut 
problems and also some exercise associated collapse um, which I guess as that kind of process of testing unfolded kind of highlighted that hydration was was an issue for Ben uh, and you know further sort of investigation of that into he alluded to a little bit in that interview you know around his kidney function and things like that mm. and um, some results that you know his local doctors um, sort of weren't really sure what it meant or, or how to interpret it kind of led to the the thinking that maybe there's there's a sodium component to this as well but it was sort of unraveling all of those little threads to get to that stage to say yeah you know sodium might be an issue here uh let's let's go and um shine some light on that part which we can't see at the moment to to find out whether it really is an issue and and as we did we discovered that you know he did have a very high sodium concentration coupled with a very high sweat fluid loss um and and putting those two things together started to to tell a, a better story of of what was going on for him, uh, that he was very conscious of replacing the fluid, uh, but hadn't necessarily had that same uh, focus or awareness around the sodium side of things. And so he was replacing a lot of fluid without the sodium. And so it was just passing straight through and and back out. He was peeing a lot of it out. um, And it wasn't actually being that helpful to him. Um, Didn't have exercise-associated hypernatremia, um, but a lot of that is probably also because his sweat losses were so high, even though he was drinking a lot, it wasn't it wasn't inappropriately too much. But that turnover, which I talked about in, in episode 10A, I think is a really important point. And it's something that hasn't really been talked about. It hasn't really been researched. But when you start doing you know, that mathematical modeling I talked about back in 10A, you can really see the importance of this. It's, it's one thing to say, I have large sweat losses or I have large sodium losses. Uh, but it's also in relation to them what you replace. And so, um, you know, just looking at the balance, the weight change pre and post and not accounting for the ins and the outs, um, you know, you can have someone who loses 2% of their body mass, um, but that might be through a large water loss and a large water replacement, or it could be through a small water loss and a small water replacement, but the, the end net balance is the same. Uh, but they're two very different scenarios in terms of the requirement for sodium. If you have a, a very small fluid loss and a very small fluid replacement, well, you probably don't really need to include much sodium there. But if you have a very large water loss and a very large water replacement, that's when you're going to get this potential mismatch between both the water, which you're replacing you know, aggressively, and the sodium that you're not replacing. And that's where that need for sodium may become more important. And so, yeah, I think in, in some of those situations, that's when... Um, you know, the, the sweat testing starts to become more important. But, yeah, it, it's that water turnover that kind of uh, largely dictates the sodium need rather than uh, thinking about it as a store of stuff like carbohydrate, like glycogen, which I think is how people traditionally have thought of sodium. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's um, that's good wrap-up and good practical messages in there. Um, and I think, yeah, as well, if they're if, – someone is thinking about getting a sweat test, like you said, just know the reasoning behind it and make sure you're going in with a good protocol um, and then you're actually going to have some good education after it. Um, yes. You don't just take the value at um, base, the number at face value. Yep. Um, there's a lot of interpretation in it. Um, so, yeah. Um, so next episode, we are going to move to a different topic altogether we are going to be answering the question can I have a beer after my training session or after my session Uh, 
and we're lucky enough to have um, Ben Desbro. Uh, he works out at where, Alan? Yeah, he's an associate professor at Griffith University up on the Gold Coast in Queensland. Yep. Awesome. And he's um, studied a lot of interesting things, caffeine, uh, beer, and we'll find out what else later on in the episode. Uh, so that's going to be episode 11A. Um, so we're looking forward to that. And in terms of um, our social media, if you want to check us out, we are on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And uh, we're on all the popular um, podcast platforms. Um, also, if you've got any questions, just um, shoot them to us through through our social media access. Um, and we'd love to, to answer some, some more questions that everyone has. Otherwise, I reckon we will see you all next week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, great to, to hear Ben's perspective today. I think it's really rounded out this topic nicely and we'll, we'll move on from sodium to beer next week. Can't wait. Awesome. All right. Bye, see everyone. you guys. <laughs>